Welcome to episode 230 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. After my wife and I got married, we realized it would be smart to meet with a financial planner. At our first meeting, I asked to see the list of all the quote-unquote adult documents we're supposed to have. Our financial planner laughed. But when she handed us a long intake form, the last page asked us if we had a will, living will, life insurance, etc. Ah, I thought, this is the list. One by one, over the next few months, we got our financial house in order and soon enough had a bona fide estate plan. It all felt very adult. In 2020, as my business quickly ramped from a few thousand dollars a month to five times that, I realized I had some adulting to do. Again, I wasn't sure exactly what I needed, but I had this nagging feeling like I shouldn't just keep going without at least considering my options. As we head into 2021, my first 12-week sprint has three goals. One, launch my new website. Two, increase lead generation through my free weekly No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour. And three, adulting my business. Adulting includes the usual things like finding professionals to help me with my business structure, to improve contracts, and to help me make sense of business insurance. It also means buying licensed music to play at my clients' virtual events, which I had thought would be a relatively simple process, but wasn't until I found the right person to help. And setting up redundant internet access so I can quickly switch internet service providers if one goes down. I guess in a lot of ways, launching a new website is part of this process as I've learned so much about myself and who I want to serve by reviewing all that content. Your challenge for this week, whether you've been in business for two years or 20 years, there is likely something important but not urgent that you've been putting off doing. Would it improve your ability to serve your clients, make your business more secure, or help you generate new business? What if you took action and put that in the done column this quarter? Write down the next step you'd need to take to move forward. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is a growth strategist who helps small business owners grow their companies without sacrificing the other parts of their lives. When business owners feel overwhelmed by the amount of work they have to do, he helps them create the right strategies, execute the right tactics, and build the right sort of team. As a serial entrepreneur, he has developed a five step system for helping entrepreneurs build their businesses strategically. After building his first business for 20 years, he sold it and now devotes himself full-time to coaching and consulting other small businesses to choose the right strategies and tactics they need to grow their business. He's a certified executive coach and a book yourself solid certified coach. Please join me in welcoming Ron Tester. Thanks, Robbie. So glad to be here. Ron, thanks for joining us from your home in Atlanta, Georgia. Happy to have you here. And as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership because as you'd probably agree, no one succeeds in a vacuum. So I'm curious, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Hmm. Um, so I define leadership as uh, really serving people by helping them to see what's possible and then helping them to get that if that's what they really want. So helping people to see what's possible and then 
like me, meaning they may be limiting, like limiting beliefs. And then they're like, Oh, I didn't realize that was something I could aim for. And then yeah. help them actually get there. Exactly. Yeah. It's a very coach perspective. <laughs> yeah. It's such a coach perspective. <laughs> yes, it is. And honestly, it's a perspective that I've had for a very long time. Which explains how you ended up in coaching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when do you yeah. think you started to have these skills yourself or started being recognized for having these skills? Um, well, you know, what's interesting is I, I never really thought like, oh, do I have these leadership skills? Um in high school, starting probably in high school, uh, I would see an opportunity for someone to kind of step up, either to say what needed to be said or, or to do what needed to be done. And for whatever reason, some people weren't, but I was like, but I, I'll do that. And so that's, that's honestly how it came about. So, you know, if I was in class and there was this kind of this common thing, like everyone, sh somebody should say something to the teacher. Uh, and and very few people would or nobody would, then I would just like, well, I'll do it. So I wonder yeah. where that came from. Like, do you think that even earlier, like was, was there someone in your life that kind of encouraged you to, to speak up or is it sort of an innate thing? Um, yeah, I have a real passion for, for the underdog, um, for helping people that are in need and for whatever reason, they don't have a voice or they, you know, and so... I think that's that's part of it. And part of it is, you know, I kind of felt like I, I didn't have much to lose. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Did you um, did you run for formal office or was it always more of a just as needed kind of thing? Like you'd always speak up in the moment. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, I did. I, I was the president of, of several student organizations and in the student government and then uh, when I was in graduate school, I was the president of my class. So, so you, so you went there from a root, and but you also it sounds like you've got the informal leadership experience too, of just yeah. kind of doing it as needed. But something think, obviously called you to that. Yeah, I, I think the reason that I I got elected or or whatever is because I people knew that I would you know stand up and advocate on behalf of people. So they they saw me as that go between. And that's really how I saw myself as somebody who would who would advocate for the people that had elected me. Was there anyone that you particularly looked up to when you were younger who had great leadership qualities? Maybe you didn't even realize that's what it was, but hmm. I think that oddly, um my mom did. Um so I was raised single parent, um, it's a long story, but uh, my mom had a lot of disadvantages when I was growing up and we were dirt poor. <laughs> and um, she really had to fight for what was, whatever she was gonna get and what was right. And I saw that, um, that fight in her. And um, yeah, I think she modeled that well. Yeah, it could be very inspiring to see someone like push forward and obviously with her wanting to make the best life for you. Do you have siblings as well? Yeah, I have one older sister. Yeah, so that's that's a that's a lot to take care of when you're a single parent. Yeah, absolutely. And this was, you know, the 60s, 70s. So it wasn't, there weren't a lot of advantages to being a, a single parent, a mom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, where did you think you were going to be when you grew up then? Like, you know, here you were a person running for office, even in high school. Like, did, did you have aspirations to do public service or... 
Like, where did you think that was all going? Um, no, I didn't really have any kind of aspirations like that. It, it was never, I never really felt like, oh, I want to be in front of people. I want to be in charge of anything. I, I was just stepping in where I felt like somebody needed to step in. So like after graduate school, I was president of my class and all that. And then I was just, I just went to work and I was like, I just wanted to be a, um, just to just do my thing, right. Make a difference in the world in the way that I was going to make it. Um, but the people that I was working for uh, weren't taking good care of our customers. And that really pissed me off, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and that's actually why I started my first business was because I saw these people taking advantage of our customers. I'm like, this isn't right. This is, this is terrible. And I just, I wouldn't stand for it. So, yeah. All right. That's fascinating. How old were you when you're having these thoughts? Uh, that was... 31, something like that. I was just yeah. out of graduate school a couple of years. So you're, so you're like, I could probably do this and I can do this better. Like you, you see the injustice basically. You're like, they're not being well served and you're like, yeah, the, I'll, I'll figure this out. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't even have that many years of experience then under your belt by the time you did that. You weren't, it wasn't like 10 years of being in corporate. You were mostly in school in your twenties and then suddenly you, you, your exactly. first big job yeah. What kind of yeah. a field was it in? Uh, healthcare. Oh, in healthcare. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And here you rules and regulations galore. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, and honestly that served me well because if I'd known what I was getting into, I probably wouldn't have done it. But uh -huh. um, I was, <laughs> I was just so outraged by the injustice that people were doing to our, our customers. I was like, I just can't, this wow. is not okay. All right. So were there entrepreneurs in your life? Did you, or your family, like, was anyone had done that before you? You know, um, not really. My grandfather, um, he started a used bookstore when he got laid off from uh, his corporate job. Um, this was again in the early seventies and um, there weren't a lot of opportunities for an older gentleman to re-enter the workforce, et cetera. So he started a used bookstore. And um, so he was the only entrepreneur and, um, and honestly, it was a cash business that was not very, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. you just count down the till at the end of the day and that was what you had to live on. So, yeah. So it's interesting. You, you basically really were walking into an unknown as far as like what, you know, not just like the field, but the whole world of entrepreneurship. How did you start to make your way into there? Did you, did you make a leap or did you like start something on the side and then shift over? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a leap because you have to, there's so much that you have to do in order to have a healthcare organization, right? There are all sorts of insurance regulations, state regulations, federal regulations, on and on and on. So um, I just started that as, and um, kind of did it on the side a little bit, you know, so I was kind of doing all of that and then working at my regular job, trying to make money and, and actually to fund the, the work, the, the business that I was building. Um, so eventually it got to the point where I needed to make that leap and I, and I was able to, but it, it took a while because it, you know, starting from scratch and really having no idea what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Dory Clark, who's a friend and mentor of mine, I know you know her as well. Yeah. Gave me this advice many years ago when I was trying to figure out like, when do I leave my, my career to do my business? And she said, um, when your job is getting in the way of your business, that's when, mm. that's when it's time Ooh, to go. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you know, this is when you're when your business is getting to the point where like it needs that love and attention and 
you've got to let go of the job that was funding up to that point in your business. Um, yeah. Did you have to sort of bring a team in? Like, did you tap your network? Like, how did you find those early people to be in? This sounds like a, the, other than the fact that I know you did do this, like it actually happened. It feels like the beginning of one of those movies where you're like, I don't know whether he'll actually finish this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually for probably for a couple of years, I didn't know if I was going to finish it either. Um, yeah. So I, I was very fortunate because uh, I'm a physical therapist by training. And so I had friends that were occupational therapists, speech therapists, nurses, et cetera. So I was able to reach out to them and, you know, convince and cajole and, and, you know, bring them on as, as needed. So, yeah. And what about the business side of a business? I mean, you talk, you understood so the, the, how to treat the patients, but yeah. What about the business side? Honestly, I read um, a ton of books um, because I didn't know any entrepreneurs and because I didn't know anyone that I could ask. Um, I just kept reading until I figured it out. So, yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, the whole leaders or readers kind of thing really comes, comes to the forefront. <laughs> and I know this about you. You're always, when I talk to you, you're always suggesting books and you're always like comparing books. You're like, oh, in this genre, here are the two books. Here's the order you should read them. Or just don't even bother reading this other one. Just read this first one. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're still that's doing me. that. That's still, yeah. But still finding the time to, to read all of that, you know, who, who are you getting a chance to bounce ideas off of even? because you, you had employees that you were bringing on, but was there a second that you had brought in to help kind of like, yeah, like do the brainstorming behind all this, the strategy behind it? Well, there's somebody who I, I brought in who I thought was going to be that person, but it was a, just a, a disaster. Honestly, oh. it was just awful because I, I knew them as a healthcare practitioner and not as a business person. And so I just thought really before I started my business, I thought everybody just thought like I did. Right. I mean, that's the way I think is the way that everyone, not that they should, but they just do. Right. And so I was stunned and, and horrified to find out that that's not actually the case. <laughs> and so um, the person that I brought in, uh, we did not see eye to eye on, on virtually anything in, from a business perspective. And and so that was tough. That was tough. That's a hard lesson. That's yeah. a hard lesson. I hope the people listening right now are thinking about how they can avoid that lesson in their own <laughs> life. It's, it's hard to, it's hard sometimes to avoid those because you, that piece you just said about assuming the world is the way the world is and that others will see it that way too. Is this the, is this the business that you went in, in the intro? I was talking about you had a business that you grew for 20 years. Is this that business? Yeah. Yeah. It is. And, and so it really, I mean, became a thing like mm -hmm. two decades. That's like, <laughs> yeah, that, by know. anyone's measure, that is a thing. <laughs> um, yeah. When did it start to feel like that? Like it's not scrappy and not, you know, bootstrapping, but really like a solid organization with, you know, the right structure and the right sort of like vision and values and oversight and all those things. Like how long did it take? Hmm. So I think it became sort of a, a self-sustaining organization probably in the second or third year. It took a long time, to be honest. Um, for one thing, state regulations, we had to wait on the state to come in to certify us as being a viable organization, blah, blah, blah. And at the time, there was this giant backlog. So we were literally waiting eight months for just for the state to come in. And we couldn't bill anybody. You know, we couldn't bill insurance or anything like that until they came in. So we were out providing all this free care, thinking that eventually we would. And of course, it didn't work out that way. Um, but I would say that two or three years in, it felt self-sustaining. Um, 
but that was because I was so new in it. I really didn't have a, a, a deep understanding of good management practices, et cetera. Um, and so I, tr- I just trust, I hired people that I, I just trusted that they would think like I would and do what I would do, et cetera. And um, so to, to be frank, um, we developed a pretty toxic culture in there for a little while and, and kind of seeing that and having to work through that was probably year four to five, something like that. And after that, it, it, it went really well, but it, it took a while to get there. But man, I mean, you're talking about first, like the first two years, three years of the stick to of believing a thing, feeling like in year three, maybe we hit the right stride. Year four or five, realizing, no, <laughs> we actually haven't done it right. And now we have to pay for that and fix that. And you kept going. Yeah. A lot of people wouldn't. You know, like that's really, I just want to name that because a lot of people, there's like so many points along that story where people would be like, eh, it was a nice idea. <laughs> and I think that's hard. I mean, um, I mean, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm even thinking of the most simplest terms. I host a podcast and I'm at it for over four years and a lot of people want this idea. And then, you know, they stick to it. Like, I think the average is six episodes in, sorry, 12 episodes in six months. That's like the average. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's similar. Like you you had to really do it. And also the time period they're doing this in, this is a while ago. Like this is 20 something years ago. Mm-hmm. So yes. pre, pre-internet. Is that? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you're trying yes. to figure out regulations and who knows what, right. and how do you find right. your network and marketing and... Like all, this is like stamps. This is like licking stamps era still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 This is, I mean, so that, so there was an internet, um, but barely. Um, yeah. So when I was in graduate school, I was walking through the computer lab one day and I saw these people tapping away at their keyboards. And I said to somebody, I said, what are you doing this? And, and this girl said, I'm sending an email to my friends at back at college. I said, why would you want to send an email? Why not just call them, right? I mean, that's how old I am. <laughs> this whole email thing didn't seem to make sense to me. Um, so there was an internet, but I will tell you that actually the, in the medical world, everything is so antiquated that we had to continue to buy computers that had a dial-up modem connection um, probably until 10 years ago. I mean, wow. the yeah, so if you wanted to connect to the state or to Medicare or something like that, you had to use a dial-up modem. They wouldn't allow you to even use a high-speed, like a, a DSL line or anything like that. Insane. Wow. Yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> that's that's an efficiency. Uh, some efficiency expert just uh, completely rolled over. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Believe me. Yeah, that's healthcare. That's, so, you know, you, you, you learned so much in 20 years. And then at some point, you decided it was time to take that knowledge and share it in a different format. Had you been already informally coaching for a while? I yeah. imagine you're the kind of person who just had, I mean, are you a, are you a mentor to people? I, I can sort of see you being that like dedicated kind of steady person in people's lives. Yeah. So um, what happened was there was, so the, as the business kind of hit its stride and, and was growing and, and doing well, and uh, we became one of the bigger players in our field, in our geography, um, people who were trying to build a business or were thinking about building a business would would come to me and they'd say, you know, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do. Or, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And so I started informally coaching about 
seven-ish years ago, six and a half years ago. Um, and I loved it. I mean, I just really loved it. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, because in a way I wanted to be there for people like, I wish that somebody had been there for me. You know, um, I wish that I had somebody that I could talk to that could see around corners and understand because they just, anyway, so I, as I got to do that for people and help them to avoid those traps, you know, and, and, you know, save them a lot of heartache, a lot of grief. Um, I just love that. And then to see them succeed and really do great things in their own lives and their professional lives and for the community. I was like, I just want to do more and more of this. So, yeah, that's what led me to get certified and, and to keep doing the coach training thing. Now, did you realize the very beginning that you were doing that, that you were coaching? No, no, yeah. I didn't really. I, you know, it's funny, Ron, because I only, I asked that question as a person. I, I have, I now, now that I'm, I'm, I'm coaching, right. Mm-hmm. I, I went back in my like memory logs and I remember meeting people at like a coffee shop with my Blackberry in my brain and helping them with whatever business challenge they had. That's a long time ago. <laughs> I've had a BlackBerry in <laughs> a long time. And I would end those conversations. And I remember many times saying, I love this. I want to do more of this. Yep. And I, I could tell you for certain, I did not know what that was. It was just a thing I did. I liked helping people. I knew things. Yeah. I saw things other people didn't see. Yep. Why wouldn't you help people? And I just, I mean, it just, it, I feel like I was a slow learner when it came to the field, but it sounds like you got turned on to the idea of it being coaching. How, how did you come to that? And how did you then decide? Cause you've got great certifications. So how did you decide to go all in about it? Well, um, so funny enough, I had a, a friend who was uh, working with a startup and it was a startup around that had something to do with coaching more or less. And um, my friend said, Hey, would you be open to trying this out as a way of, you know, kind of validating our thing and et cetera. And so I said, sure, why not? You know, and so I got paired with a a coach who I had no idea what to expect. And, And to be honest, at first she kind of irritated me because she was, she was one of those people that like held space and wasn't just giving me advice. I just wanted people to just tell me what to do and I'll, then I'll go do it. And, um, and she came from a very traditional, you know, coach federation type of thing where it's like, you know, she's holding space and asking really good questions and everything. And when I let my guard down and I just stayed present to it, it is like the world just opened up for me. And, and I saw that even though she wasn't giving me advice, I saw things differently. And, and that shift in perception or perspective just could radically change things. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and so then I'm like, I, w- I want to do more of that, right? I mean, because it was amazing. And, um, and so that's when I decided to pursue the kind of the formal certification. So, um, yeah, but, but really before that, I didn't, you know, a coach was like somebody who helped me to learn to play tennis better or something like that. Yeah, even though the program, the, the, sorry, the field of coaching has been developed quite a bit in the last 20 years. Um, and you and I both know some people that, you know, really started um, way back. I'm thinking Melinda Cohen, who I also yeah, interviewed. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she started working on this back when it wasn't really, coaching wasn't really a thing yet. Um, but even seven years ago, like it kind of was a thing, but still, you know, when you heard the word coach, you were thinking athletics, <laughs> you yeah. know, not business, not executive coach. And, um, but you, you kind of went all in. At what point did you decide you were going to let go of the business that you'd built for 20 years and go into this new thing? Like, was it, a, was it like a, 
a path that you knew you were, you were on or did the opportunity just kind of present itself? Um, no, I, I knew it at some point because of the changes in my life and changes in honestly in the healthcare system as it was, um, I felt like that I needed to move on. And so I don't know, a year and a half ago, two years ago, something like that. Um, I just, you know, I kind of put it out into the universe that I'd be open if something happened. And, um, and, you know, one day I got a, actually I, a guy that I know is like, Hey, I was speaking to somebody and they're interested in buying your business. Would you be interested in selling? And I was like, uh, maybe. And what's interesting because of the kind of who we were and the, the culture and the team and, and our reputation, honestly, in, in the community we served, I really wanted it to be the right person. It's super important to me that they just not come in and, you know, kind of run over people and that sort of thing. So there was a, a pretty long vetting process where I'm like, can I trust you with my people? Can I trust you with, right? Because I didn't, I didn't want them to, you know, whether it's my uh, colleagues or the, the larger community, I, I didn't want it to turn into what I had left when I started, right? So I didn't want them to just take advantage of people because it was easy. And, you know, sadly in the healthcare world, nobody knows what they should or shouldn't be getting. So it, it, you have to, you have to respect people's trust, right? They, they, and honor them, their, their faith in you, I think. I mean, we should. Um, so it was important for me to get that right. And then I found a buyer that I believe that that was, yeah. It would, yeah. That's true legacy. That's true success in my book. I mean, like being able to build something and, and let it go and it continues, but keeps the vision that you had set for it. Like, that's amazing that, you know, that, and then you are free. You were, you were yeah. no longer like, I mean, it wasn't corporate in, a, in the same sense, but the sort of golden handcuffs kind of experience, like you're in the middle of it. So it's hard to leave it, but then you had permission to really explore. But I also think it's great that you had built up this coaching, like as a, side like hobby yeah. and then become more formal and then sort of you had all that happening concurrent with the business so by the time the universe answered you and said here's a buyer that you're going to probably like check them out you were ready for the next chapter and then and by then were you surrounded by coaches because you'd done these certifications so unlike the first time when you didn't know any entrepreneurs <laughs> going into this you actually knew coaches yeah, so I, I I definitely was developing a, a circle of of people around me um, that were coaches of various kinds, and because of the the specific trainings that I had, one was very specific and focused on like marketing and sales and in and, and coaching, but coaching around those things, and then one was much broader. And so uh, I was I kind of lived in both of those worlds, and and I appreciate both of those perspectives, and and so it's. It, it's been so much easier knowing coaches and being part of a coaching community uh, to to grow and and to move forward, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to actually hear more about your networking ideas because one of the reasons I wanted you on the show is I, I'm you and I are both uh, working with Miracy and uh, that's Dan Innes' company out of Montreal, and we we work with a lot of his entrepreneurs uh, doing coaching, business strategy coaching, and you've come on and done some trainings around networking. And it's a, it's always stellar for me when I'm not the only one who's being asked to, to teach these things because <laughs> it's my background, you know? So people are like, oh, you know that too? I'm like, oh, yeah, we talk about that. But you had some <laughs> new ideas that I, I hadn't heard of in the same way. I always love when people have new new concepts. So I always sort of ask, this was my frame of this question, you know, you have the sort of innermost circle of people that you know you're going to stay in touch with. And then 
I always wonder how people nurture and sustain connections with the second and third layers of people in their network. Like the people they, they see once a year at a conference or they work with five years ago, but they don't have a reason to work with them now. And, they, and these are people you like. I mean, like, let's assume that we're only talking about trying to stay in, people, in touch with people that you actually enjoy. But Absolutely. How do you, like, how do, you do that? Are, do you have any habits or philosophies or practices that allow that to be sustainable? Um, yeah, so I, I have a variety of things that I do, but to be honest, the, the, the practice or the habit that I, I'm the most consistent with is that I write people's names down on a three by five card and I have a giant stack of three by five cards. And, and every day I, I look at two or three cards and I just reach out to those people. And, um, and that's as simple as it is. Sometimes I'll send them a card in the mail. Sometimes I'll send them an email. Sometimes I'll send them a text or I'll just call them up. Um, so it could be any number of ways, but I'm just reaching out and thinking about just, you know, I, I only collect people that I, I think are, um, that I want to be in touch with, like you said, right? So that's, there's always a, oh, you know, when I, when I pull a card, um, it's like, Oh, I love that guy. Like, you know, I wonder what's going on with him. And I'll, so I'll reach out or, or, Oh, you know, I was just thinking about this guy is because this person should know this woman and, you know, et cetera. So um, just having that, that practice is really fun. And, and because I, I really love staying in touch with people. All right. I have a couple of thoughts and questions on this. One is I love that you talk about the index cards because um, I have long said, I'm agnostic about what system people use as long as they use it. And yeah. Uh, when people tell me they get overwhelmed with technology, I always say you can just write people's names on a stack of index cards and you're living proof that you really yeah. just need to do that. It doesn't need to be more complicated, but it's about what you do with that information. And, you know, like simply doing that is not, you know, just like putting people's names in a spreadsheet is not enough. So right. you then you actually have a daily practice of looking at these names and thinking about how you might want to reach out and connect. How many people do you think are in this stack at any one point and how do they come out? Like when you look at them and go, eh. Do you like, do then just, do they go to a different pile? Like, are you talking about a hundred people, 500 people? Like how big is this stack of cards? I'm, I'm, yeah. 250. I'm going to say he's looking, looking over at his desk right now at the second card. So 250 I, people. So at three people each, that's, uh, that's uh, two and a half months, which I guess would not be a bad interval. So if you, if there was a person that you liked enough, but you know, wanted to stay in touch with. So if, if every two and a half or three months you thought of that person and said, Hey, that would in itself like be the process. This is like kind of all that. I mean, I don't, I, I both don't know whether I'm making it sound overly simplistic or it's actually, that is what it is. No, that, that, that is what it is. And, you know, I mean, I, like I've, I, if I pick up a card and I reach out to somebody and, you know, I've sent my Senate email, I mean, that might turn into a, a Zoom call next week or something like that. So it's not like I, there's, it's always one-way communication, right? Sometimes it is. Sometimes I reach out, I don't hear back from them for whatever reason. I don't make up a story about it. I just say, well, you know, they're busy, whatever. So then just move on to the next one. Um, but a lot of times I will, me reaching out will, will cause somebody to reciprocate. And then we have a little, you know, conversation. We may do something. Or not, and but it's fine. We're just these are people in my life that I like having in my life. So, yeah, uh, that piece you just said about not making a story about that. Um, yeah. I really can you say a little more because like I was like I like that. Tell me more about that and how how you don't let that stop you. 
Yeah. Um, so I think that's super important that we um, we avoid making up a story about why somebody didn't re- return our call or, you know, uh, email, et cetera. You know, and honestly, I tell my coaching clients all the time, people are busy. You know, how many emails have you gotten in the last week that you didn't respond to? You know, it, for me, it, it's a lot. And it's not because I don't care. I'm busy. Right. And so um, rather than make up a story, oh, they don't like me or I'm bothering them or, you know, they, they probably, you know, I don't know, whatever. It's just, it's, it's insanity to try to make up story to, to read people's minds. You don't know what's going on in their lives. They've, you know, and like I had a, a guy that I was um, just corresponding with and then he kind of dropped off the face of the earth and for like six days, I was like, what's up with that guy? You know, and I was, I was, I wasn't mad and I wasn't making up a story. I was just like, this is weird. Cause we, you know, we were kind of going back and forth daily and then all of a sudden he's gone. So I sent him an email and he didn't respond and I sent him an e- and then, um, like six days later, he's like, oh, God, I've been sick. I've been, you know, this and that and all that, you know, and and I could have been making a, well, you know, he hates me or he doesn't want to do this project anymore, or, you know, whatever. But the reality was he was just sick. And, you know, to give him space to be who he is, we're all human. And so, yeah, I'm a big believer in not making up stories. Yeah, that's awesome. When did you start doing this practice? Um, probably three years ago, ballpark three years ago. Yeah. And, um, and how often are people added and, and taken from this pile? Like, is this like a, a fluid pile? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very fluid actually. So um, it, 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 when I meet somebody that I think, Oh, that the person's cool. I'd like to stay in touch with them for whatever reason is then I add them to the pile. And then every once in a while, something will happen and be like, and, you know, not so much this one anymore, whatever. And and that's fine. But I'm not afraid to let let the pile expand a little bit. And sometimes we we, we let it go. <laughs> so, I um, yeah. When I first started this podcast, I had a CRM that I really liked. And it, had, it was all about buckets. And mm-hmm. so you'd put people in these different buckets. And um, I had a bucket that I called third tier. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it was the catch-all for those interesting people. And I always thought, that if I have them there, I would then look at them and eventually they would move to one of those other buckets like colleague mm-hmm. or client or prospect or, or mentor. And that until they did, they could ha- kind of hang out in this like, you know, random bucket. And I got really unwieldy. Like it, like I didn't stick, I didn't stick with it. And I think part of it is that I, I, as much as I love technology, I am a tactile person who like, I still, I like have my to-do list it's built off Asana and it's written on a piece of paper. <laughs> like I write it out every day and, yeah. and rewrite it every like day or two. And um, I, I think that anyone who's listening, who's tried some version of a spreadsheet or CRM and it hasn't kept up with it, it's because like maybe it's not in front of you. Whereas for you, this is literally something that if you sit at your desk, you're going to glance at it and think, oh, let me just look who's in the first, first few and I'll just, let me just send a little love into the universe. And that, and yeah. it's, and when did you know this was a system that worked for you? I mean, this is sort of fascinating to me. Um, so I just, I, I, I guess ultimately it just works, right? Because I've tried all the, not all, but many, many, many of the CRMs and the spreadsheets and the this and the that. And, and I just, I, for whatever reason, they don't work as well as having a stack of three by five cards on my desk. So it's just, it is literally always in front of me. So it's easy to reach over and grab. 
All right. I am literally going to go and buy them from Amazon or somewhere online, probably in the next hour when we get off this call and think, why not try this? This is, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about 2021 and, and, and what I want it to look like. And, you know, here we are, um, we're recording it in late, uh, 2020, but it's going to be releasing in early 2021. And I think this is a, you know, a good time for us all to, to rethink these. We always have these best, um, intentions, I guess I would say, mm -hmm. around networking, but often build it up to be this like difficult, complex <laughs> process. And you've just broken down so, so simply. Um, there was another concept that I don't know if I fully understood that came up and a lot of people were talking about it, it was your red, red velvet rope. Mm -hmm. Am I saying it yeah. right? Yeah. So what, yeah what was that about? Because I, I, I missed the program where you talked about <laughs> this. <laughs> Yeah, so so the red velvet rope uh, is is something that comes from Michael Port's book Yourself Solid, um, and and since I'm a certified book Yourself Solid coach, um, I I really like the concept, and a lot of people do, and 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 really essentially it's it's deciding the kind of person that you want to work with. So the image is this: imagine that you were walking up to a party. And uh, there's a there's a person in a tuxedo there, and they've got a clipboard. And when you get to the the front of the line, there's a red velvet rope, and you give them your name. They look at the clipboard, they smile, they say, "Ah, you're on the list." They take down the red velvet rope, and you get to walk through, right? And you, you feel very welcomed when that happens. That's the way our customers, our clients, should feel when we embrace them and bring them into our uh, into our service, into our worlds, right? And, and the only way that that happens is if we're very intentional about who gets in and who doesn't get in, right? And, and there's some laxity, you know, some people when they're first starting out there, the red velvet rope might be a little, little looser and, and that's okay, right? But, but ultimately you, you only wanna be working with people that you want to be working with because if you are working with people that you like, then you will do your best work. If you work with people that you really don't enjoy working with, then you will, tend to not uh, do, do great work with them, right? So, so good. It's so good. Yeah. You know, I, um, I recently put that to the test in a big way uh, and I didn't even know what this concept was. But um, around the election, I made a declarative statement in an email that, um, you know, if, if you're voting a certain way and it's not the way I believe, the unsubscribe link is below. You know, it's just sort of like, you're not my people. Like we should just all be clear on that. And I got like a, you know, 99 out of a hundred responses were just so supportive and affirming. And I, I heard from my current and past clients and they were like, you know, good on you. And I got like a couple of Trump supporters who were like, I know who you are and I still like you. And I'm like, that actually doesn't matter if you're voting against me and my rights. <laughs> But, you know, good on you that you like me. I don't know. So I try not to get too political with them. But it was sort of interesting that um, people were telling me I was really brave. And I said, the only way I work with the people I want to work with is by really clear about who I'm not going to work with. And I want people to choose to work with me. And if I'm like, if I'm for everybody, then I'm for nobody. And I'm going to, yeah. I, I have to live that. And I want others to live that. So I have to do it first. I have to like be upfront about it. But I... But I've always sort of felt that way because the the stories we hear when we're first getting into a business is like, you know, don't ruffle the feathers, don't talk about certain things online, you know, like scare away half of your client. I'm like they're not my people. 
Like I right. can't scare away people who are not my people. Like that doesn't work. So this this uh, image of the red velvet rope is is striking. I hope that people are taking it to heart and maybe being more selective because I love the idea that you will do your best work then. This is like, yeah. I, I love this concept. Um, as we are morphing towards the end of this call, I would love to um, have you talk a little bit about sort of what's coming up for you. You know, there's a, there's, I mean, we're, we're like leaning into a whole new year, thankfully. Um, <laughs> this is the year we all want to have end. So we're, we're, yes. it'll be in our, in our, in our rearview mirror by the time uh, this is airing. But when you look a, a year ahead and if we were to reconnect then, right. And I know we'll, we'll find, I know we'll, I'll know every two and a half months you'll pop up just like yes oh it's true it's true <laughs> i know that will happen so um and vice versa so let's say uh it's a year from now and we're connecting again and i'm asking you how your year went and you're telling me and we're celebrating what are we going to be toasting to what are the what are the things you're most looking forward to in the year ahead that's yeah, such a good question the things that, that i'm really working on now in my business and my practice is how can I increase my impact? Um, how can I uh, have a have a more profound impact on the individuals and then on more individuals, right? So it's, it's kind of that combination. So um, I'm innovating right now. I'm going, going through the process of uh, developing some new uh, programs or offerings uh, that that I think are gonna make a real difference for people. Because again, I work with small business owners, people that were like me 20 years ago, right? And and so there's just a tremendous sense of isolation. There's, you know, there's, it's better now, but there's still often the sense that I'm alone in this. And um, so looking for ways to help to build community around that so that people can not just like, oh, you should do X and you should do Y, but but to, to really be in community, right? And to, to share their, their triumphs, their struggles, et cetera. And sure to, to get input from other people, but um, it is, it's my, my deepest desire to have that kind of an impact on people and where people feel like I can do this and I'm not alone. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. It sounds amazing. And you are the person who's going to make that happen. Ron, how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah, so people can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm just Ron Tester. And um, you can also find my website, which is smallbusinesssummitstrategies.com. And um, yeah, they can find me there too. And everyone should note there's a lot of S's in Small Business <laughs> Summit, Summit Strategies. strategies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, we will have all your links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Ron, thanks so much for, for coming and sharing this with us. Thank you, Robbie. It's been a real joy. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ron. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 230. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 225 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. And if you were intrigued by my mention at the top of this episode of my setting up redundant internet access, I found a great YouTube video that details this process. Email me at Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com if you'd like the link. And speaking of YouTube, are you following my channel? I post new videos several times a week. You'll find it at youtube.com forward slash Robbie Samuels. 
you enjoyed this episode with Ron, please share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. Look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talented professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.